Hello, welcome to God Day. I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And today I want to share something really that's at the very heart of our faith, uh, who Jesus is. In fact, his full title is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord actually represents the fact that he is God. And Jesus is the name of his humanity. That was the name given to him at his birth. And Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. And this Messiah was prophesied in the Old Testament to be God's champion. He would be both God and man. Uh, And the the Messiah means the anointed one, the one who is empowered by God for our salvation. He'd be anointed as the prophet, priest, and the king. And so when we talk about Jesus being the Christ, it means he's the anointed one. He's the empowered one to, to save us through, to, through his, his perfect work. Praise God. And so what I want to do today is actually show how a number of prophecies in the Old Testament point to Jesus. They're called the Messianic Prophecies. And, they descri- and Jesus fulfills them. And it's one of the major proofs that Jesus is the true Messiah, is that he fulfilled all those prophecies. I remember when I was uh, at university and hearing the gospel for the first time, really, I began to study the evidence for the resurrection and, and the evidence for all these prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And, and I, that helped me come to faith that Jesus is the true Messiah and his resurrection from the dead was the the final proof that God was declaring that he is. Jesus of course claimed to be the Messiah. (coughs) But but these messianic prophecies are very interesting and uh, they're part of the preparation God gave for the coming of the Messiah so that we would recognize him when he came. And, And so I think it will be interesting to actually have a look at these and, and we can learn a lot about Jesus from these messianic prophecies. And as I say, we're going to notice in particular that he is both God and man. The, the problem that the Jews had, that one of the reasons why they re- rejected him as a, as a nation was that their concept of the Messiah was inadequate. They saw the Messiah as just a man, a political leader um, who would lead the Jews to to freedom from the Romans or whoever was oppressing them. And this Messiah was just a great man. Um, And and yet that is not the Old Testament picture. Yes, he's the son of David. That's one of his titles. And he is a victorious warrior. And we're going to see that at his second coming. But he's much more than that. And the Bible says that the Messiah is also a suffering servant who is going to die for our sins. Uh, and the, the prophecies also tell us, most importantly, that he's not just a mere man. He's the God-man. And, uh, and so let, we're going to have a look at some of these. And um, it's interesting that uh, the first one is way back in Genesis 3.15. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. And it was given by God immediately after man sinned. And actually, God is talking to Satan, who thinks he's, he's won the victory, you know, by, by causing man 
to fall into sin and come into the kingdom of darkness. And immediately God announces, no, I'm sending another man uh, and he is going to undo all that work of the enemy and he's going to save mankind. And so in Genesis 3.15, it's the first mention of the gospel, really. And God says to Satan, I'll put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. So he's predicting here there's going to be a spiritual conflict. There's going to be a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And in particular, there will be those who are the seed of Satan, those who are in Satan's kingdom, whether we're talking about angels, demons, or even human beings who have, who have chosen to, to be uh, like Satan and to walk in the footsteps of Satan as it was his seed. And on the other hand is the, her seed, the seed of the woman. And this is a prediction of the virgin birth, that there will be a seed. Normally, it would somebody in the Bible is called the son of the father. But here, this is the seed of the woman because there is no human father. This is a prediction that the Messiah will be born of a virgin. In other words, he won't be just a mere man. There'll be, there'll be more. In, in fact, God is his father. He will be the son of God. And uh, by the way, the, the woman's seed, we understand now, includes us because the, the seed of the woman is Christ. But when you accept Christ, you're put into Christ, and so you are, you are in there too, as part of God's kingdom, if you are in Christ. And then it describes the, the conflict the, that will take place between Satan and the seed of the woman, and how the seed of the woman is going to be victorious. It says, he will bruise your head um, or crush your head. So the picture is of, of Satan like a snake. The, the God's champion is going to crush Satan and his kingdom under his feet. And this is a picture that he is going to triumph and defeat the power of darkness and set mankind free from the power of the enemy. But it also says, you will bruise his heel. In other words, this is the picture that as he's crushing the head of the serpent, um, the serpent actually bites him in the heel and injects his poison. And this is a perfect picture of what happened on the cross, you see, that on the cross, Jesus took into himself the poison of sin. He took our sin on the cross and he paid the price and he even died through that, through that bite, as it were. But he rose from the dead and he crushed the enemy under his feet and Jesus has defeated the power of sin and evil and so forth. And all of that was, was as it were, predicted in Genesis 3.15. And it's interesting that this seed of the woman, the implication is he has no human father and therefore God himself must be. He, his origin must be God. God must be his father so that he'll be the son of God. And the implication again is that he'll be divine. And that's certainly how Eve understood it. Because when she had her firstborn son, which was Cain, 
notice what it says in Genesis 4.1, and this is often missed because of the translations. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, the problem is the translation is wrong because the word from there is not in the Hebrew. Um, and so the translator put it in to try and make better sense of it, but he missed the point. Because literally it says, I have acquired a man, the Lord, <laughs> Jehovah. In other words, this, this man is Jehovah himself. In other words, this is Eve believing the promise of this coming Messiah that, that would be, as it were, the Son of God. Uh, and uh, she thought that this Cain must be that one. And so she said, this man is also the Lord. He's the God-man. Of course, it didn't take her too long to realize that Cain was not the God-man, but rather a naughty little boy. Um, he certainly wasn't the sinless Messiah who would crush the devil under his feet. That became apparent, especially with Cain, of course. But um, the, this prophecy, this concept was picked up by Isaiah. In Isaiah 7.14, he confirms that this Messiah would be the seed of the woman and would be God himself. Isaiah 7.14, it says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin, not a virgin, but the virgin. This is the virgin that is at the heart of the Bible. Gen in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, the virgin, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that's another title of Jesus, of course, which means God with us. And so this is predicting that this virgin-born son will be God with us, God with mankind, God becoming a man. So again, this Messiah is not just a, a great man. He is the God-man. And you see, you are saved by not just believing that Jesus existed as a great man. You're saved when God opens your eyes to see that he is God. He is Lord and you worship him. That's what makes the difference with a Christian. And a non-Christian is we have come to see that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And we don't just, uh, and we worship him as Lord. Well, this was fulfilled. The New Testament says this was fulfilled by Jesus. In Matthew 1.21, it says, Mary will bring forth a son. This is the angel saying this. And you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so this was done that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with such child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And then in the same passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, gives us a fuller description of this God-man Messiah. It says, for unto us a child is born, that's his humanity, unto us a son is given. Ah, that's his deity, you see. Before he was born as a child, he is the son of God. And the pre-existent son of God, who is given to us. 
And so he existed beforehand and is given to us. So here we see this child that is born is also the son who is given for our salvation. And the government will be upon his shoulder. He will be the king of the earth. And his name, and the name defines the nature. His name will be called Wonderful. That means miracle worker, because Jesus did great miracles. Counselor, which means teacher. You'll be the greatest teacher ever. Mighty God. Ah, that's interesting. That's El Gibor. And that's a divine title. It's a plain statement that he's God. In fact, Isaiah uses that same title in the next chapter, Isaiah 10, 21, which is clearly talking about God. <coughs> Uh, and um, then it says, it, in fact, Isaiah 10, 21 is that a remnant will return, the remnant of da Jacob, to the mighty God, to El Gibor. And so Jesus is God, in other words. Uh, it's also called everlasting father. That can be a bit confusing until you realize this word father could also be translated source. He's the source of everlasting life. And finally, he's the Prince of Peace. If you want to have peace in your life, you need to make him your Prince. You need to submit to him. Peace comes through submitting to the Prince of Peace. And so that's very clear that he's the God-man. Praise God. And then Micah 5.2 tells us where the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem and that he will be both God and man. And so, you see, when we come to the New Testament, and the New Testament makes this outstanding claim that Jesus is both God and man. This wasn't something out of nowhere. This was something that was everywhere in the uh, Old Testament scriptures. And, and really, the New Testament saying, he's, he's arrived. Here he is. His name is Jesus. Well, Micah 5.2 says, but, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you will come forth unto me the one to be ruler in Israel. This is the Messiah. And so he'll, he will be born in Bethlehem as a human child. But then it says, whose goings forth or whose origins are from of old, from everlasting. In other words, this isn't a normal human baby. The origins of this baby are actually from eternity. In other words, he's the eternal son of God who is now taking on a human nature and becoming a man. And he'll be born in, Be in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so, praise God. The, he is the eternal one who became the babe of Bethlehem. And this, of course, was fulfilled by Jesus. It's claimed uh, in, in Matthew chapter 2, um, you know, when the wise men were actually trying to, they were following this star, and uh, they were coming to Herod to find out where can we find this, this baby. And Herod asked the, uh, all, the, all his advisors and where the Christ would be born. This is in Matthew 2. 
uh, around about uh, verse 4. And they, so they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, they knew their scripture there, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall become a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so the New Testament claims this will be fulfilled by, um, this was fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Um, there will be, there's a prophecy in 1 Chronicles 17 that God, God gave to David. And God promised King David that one of his sons would be the Messiah. And uh, in 1 Chronicles 17, he promises David a royal house, a dynasty that would rule forever, and that one day one of his descendants, the Messiah, will reign forever in an everlasting kingdom. Uh, 1 Chronicles 17, 11, it says, It shall be when your days are fulfilled, David, that when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you. This is the Messiah who will be of your sons. In other words, he'll be born of one of your sons down the line. Um, and I will be establish his kingdom and he will build me a house and I will establish his throne forever. So this one will have an eternal throne. I will be his father and he will be my son. In other words, he'll be the son of God. And I will not take uh, my mercy away from him. Uh, and it says, I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne will be established forever. How could he reign forever? He's not just a man, but the everlasting God. And Jeremiah 23 confirms this in verse 5. He's, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. This is, in other words, the fulfillment of this prophecy, of descendant of David. He'll be a branch. That's his humanity. The branch is made of wood, and it comes out of the, the trunk, you see. A, a branch of righteousness, a, a sinless man, a king, shall reign and prosper, executing judgment and righteousness in the earth. And then verse 6, in his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called. And then it says, the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu. This man who is the branch descended from David is also Jehovah, the Lord, our righteousness. I love that because he will be perfectly righteous. And then through the cross, he released his righteousness to us so that when we trust in Christ, his righteousness is given to us as a free gift so that he's now the Lord, our righteousness too. We are made righteous with his righteousness. All of that was predicted there. Hallelujah. And you might think, well, maybe he's a man and he's just given the name of God. But that is not allowed. Uh, Isaiah 42, 8, God says, I am the Lord, Jehovah. That's my name and my glory I will not give to another. In other words, God isn't going to allow anyone else to be called by, by, the, by the title God. God reserves that to himself. So the fact that Jesus is described as God and the Lord our righteousness, that it, God is not going to do that unless he actually is God. Well, um, praise God. Um, the, I'm going I'm to jump. There are so many of these prophecies, I can't cover them all. But Psalm 30, verse 4, is an interesting one. 
it says, who has descended into heaven or descended? And, and that's interesting. That's, we know the answer to that, don't we? Jesus has descended to become a man and he has ascended back to heaven. Who has gathered his wind in his fists or bound the waters in a garment? Who has established the ends of the earth? In other words, this same one is the creator. And then he says, what is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? So it's interesting, it describes here God, first of all, God the Father. Uh, and then, but it says that God has a son, both God and his son. And of course, the son is the one who has descended to earth and become a man and has ascended back to heaven, having accomplished our salvation. And so what is his name, he says, if you know? Well, we do know his name, don't we? His name is Yeshua. Praise God. Jesus is his name. Hallelujah. Well, why did, Jesus, why did God have to become a man? Um, Job understood the issue. In Job 9.32, it says, God is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. So Job knew that there was a disconnect between man and God, and to connect man and God needs a mediator who could lay his hand or identify with both. And of course, the perfect answer is that a God-man, because as God, Jesus could connect with God, but as man, he could also connect with man, and he can bring God and man together, or in other words, he can bring man to God. And then he goes on and says, oh, the, this revelation, that there needs to be a mediator, and then he has a revelation that God will indeed provide such a mediator, and he gets so excited, and he says, oh, that my words would be written. Oh, that they are inscribed in a book. And God answers that prayer because we got them right here in the book of Job. That they are, were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. That's how they kept records to be permanent, using an iron pen and lead. Uh, for I know that my Redeemer lives. There's the revelation now. I know that my Redeemer lives. And in other words, he's alive in heaven right now is what Job is saying. God revealed that to him, that the Son of God, the Redeemer, is in heaven, even as he spoke, and that he shall stand at last on the earth. In other words, God showed him that this Redeemer is actually going to become a man, and he will live on the earth and accomplish our redemption. And he says, after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. In other words, this Redeemer, who is alive in heaven, is going to come to earth. He's going to accomplish my redemption. So even after I'm dead and in the grave, I'm, he's, I'm going to be resurrected and I'm going to see God face to face. In other words, I'm going to be totally saved by his work. I'll be taken out the clutches of death and out of the hand of the enemy and I will see face to face with God. I'll have face to face fellowship with God forever. Hallelujah. Whom I will see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another. How my heart yearns within me. In other words, he is so looking forward to his ultimate salvation through the Redeemer. This Redeemer who is, is God in heaven, who will come to the earth 
uh, and accomplish his redemption. Praise God. And so you need, you need both God and man to accomplish salvation. Christ is the God-man. Praise God. And uh, hallelujah. Uh, another interesting example is Psalm 110. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, that's Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So Jesus sits at the right hand of God. That's like equality with God. And then it says in verse 3, the Lord at your right hand, or Adonai at your right hand. And this, who is at the right hand of God? It's, it's, the, it's Jesus. But then it says in verse 3, this one at the right hand is actually uh, Adonai, which is a divine title. Um, the problem is that the translations that, um, have added in a word here where people miss this. Um, actually, sorry, it's verse 5. The Lord, it says, the Lord is at your right hand. But that is, is not there. It is the Lord at your right hand shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. And it's talking about Jesus in his second coming. He is the Lord at the right hand. And in verse 5, that name is Adonai, which is a name that's only used for God. So that's another proof that the Messiah, who is exalted to God's right hand, is Adonai himself. He is God himself. Hallelujah. And so Jesus said, he's the son of God, but also he's the son of man. He is the God-man. So when you're believing in Jesus, you're not just believing in a great man, you're believing in the God-man. Praise God. And your salvation depends on him being God. That's why the Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. That, that, that title, Lord, uh, is translated from the Hebrew, which is Jehovah. All who call on the name of Jehovah shall be saved. In other words, the New Testament saying, Jesus is Jehovah. If you call on him and you believe in him as your Lord, as your God, you will be saved. Hallelujah. Amen.